0: Patrice filii, spiritus sancti, Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu arbus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, iesus.
1: Sancta Maria, mater dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, non et in oram mortis nostrae, Amen.
0: In nomine Patris et Filii Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Brethren in Christ, laude to Jesus Christus. Happy in
2: Halloween.
0: This is Timothy Flanders. At the meaning of Catholic, Jesus is King. Welcome to your Monday morning man show, Our Lady of Victory, on the meaning of Catholic, with special guest Adrian Alvarado. Adrian, how you doing, brother? Hey, doing good, doing good. Glad to be here. Good morning, He's our Venezuelan Floridian brother. Uh, and you're out. You're outside of San Augustine, right? Uh, different. A little bit, yes, yes. Pretty, uh, I'm a
2: little. I'm, uh, I'm north of Miami, like an hour north of Miami. Fantastic. It's
1: a lot further south of Saint Augustine. Okay, <laughs> we I, I don't know talking. anything
2: about
0: Florida geography, so I, I know you you you've been to Saint Augustine because you you wrote the excellent uh, Catholic Florida piece about Saint Augustine, and then you just went Thank to you. Tampa. Uh, tell us about that.
2: Oh, my goodness. Yes. Uh, So super excited. I'm going to be writing an article about about the whole visit. So uh, his eminence, Cardinal Burke, Cardinal Raymond Burke, uh, actually surprised everybody at the parish um, epiphany uh, of our Lord in Tampa, uh, Tampa, Florida. And so that's 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 about like three hours away, um, three and a half for me. And uh, it was quite an honor to go there. It was packed to the gills. Uh, there's people from all over the place and uh, I had never gone to a, a pontifical high mass and it was just, uh, it was incredible. And, you know, what I, what I saw was that uh, uh, the Cardinal uh, let everybody say hello to him and uh, it was just, uh, you know, lines and lines and lines of people. So it was just, you know, people were probably there up until like three hours later, uh, just, you know just saying hello to the Bishop, you know, kissing his ring, you know, you know, speaking with him and, 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 and I, I briefly got to have a little statement from him. So that's going to be very exciting to, to include that in the, in the article. And he was just, uh, he seemed very, very nice, very inviting. Uh, and just, uh, I think, I, I don't think it's, it's, it's much like too much for me to say, like I, in speaking with him, I think he, he, he seemed like a very holy guy.
0: Fantastic. That's a what a what a joy and honor that you got to meet him. Um, I just met my I just met Bishop Schneider, um, like last month, and that was a similar experience for me just a, a holy man, a bishop, confessor of the faith under the Soviets, no less. Um, it, it's it's a remarkable experience to meet a bishop, meet a, not only meet a bishop, it's great to meet a bishop, first of all, but then meet a, a clearly holy bishop that sort of exudes holiness it's always uh it's amazing if you ever get the opportunity uh we don't always have that uh but let's see i, I want to bring up this beautiful iconography from leaders of the home today because it's just fantastic this is what um michaela harrison so th- this is what we always do on a lady of victory is we promote this fantastic calendar at liturgy because it's so awesome and it's fantastic for the kids so this is the normal calendar but what Michaela did here was that when you get to Christ the King obviously my kids have, so as a result of this my kids have been talking about Christ the King ever since we like two weeks before this and um so this year obviously Christ the King is uh, was yesterday um and then we have our All Hallows Eve which is today Halloween All Saints Day, and we have this fantastic depiction which very conspicuously shows the children what's at stake here. We have the Angel of Judgment uh, sending the souls to heaven, or the devils are taking all these souls to burn in hell over here. But then we've got the souls in purgatory for All Souls Day uh angel leading one of them out into the heavenly glory uh so just a fantastic catechetical catechetical work here for the children i mean this is this is what this type of beautiful uh visual depiction has been what has i mean this has been catechizing our forefathers for centuries this type of thing you know this type of um depiction so i just love what was done here so shout out to litter of the home
1: Um, I'm always impressed by the detail. Like I'm just looking at this on on the screen here. And it's like, someone drew that by hand, presumably by hand. And it's like, this this is amazing. Not only from this perspective that, holy cow, I could never do anything like that. But just the thought that had to go into planning that and to have that um, so much theology crammed into an image. It's just, it's spectacular. It's remarkable.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I I I just love it. It's it's fantastic to it's just endless conversations with the kids. So, so uh Our Lady of or our our Lady, I'm sorry. Christ the King was yesterday, which coincides with Reformation Day. It was it was so hilarious because um Adrian uh <laughs> Adrian, you posted the um the uh video of Cardinal Burke receiving kisses on his ring. And there were a bunch of non-Catholics who were up in arms about that because we were obviously worshiping a human being, you know, when he kisses <laughs> ring, because that's always the case every time you kiss somebody. And uh, so there was one comment that just cracked me up because somebody was like, "I keep on thinking that it's Reformation Sunday." So it's just it was just such a joy to for you, for me, for you, Adrian, to post a photo of a bunch of Catholics kissing a bishop's ring on Reformation Sunday
2: you know, I, I, uh, I was, you know, I just posted it cause it was just something that was happening. I wasn't expecting, you know, such a, such an uproar. Uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously it's Twitter. So, I mean, <laughs> uh, you could ever predict any of this stuff. Um, but you know, no one was up in arms about, about the, uh, the, about the burgers being, being, uh, served, <laughs> you know, outside in the grass people, you know, but you know, people saw this and they were just like, <laughs> you know, they just gravitated to it. And, um, that was just you know, incredible because, I, I, I don't know, I didn't see it as, as such, an, such an affront. The people were like, oh, my goodness, um, they were just up in arms.
0: Uh, yes, I, it's, it's, it's sad that there's um, been a suppression of so many osculations that the, the, the liturgical term for kisses. Uh, there's kisses in the in the mass kissing. The, the priest venerates with a kiss, the altar, the book. The priest's hand is kissed multiple times, um, and you kiss a bishop's hand too. in in, um, in, the, in Egypt, when I was in Egypt, you'd always kiss a, uh, a priest's hand. Even in the East, in the, among the Greeks, when you meet a priest, you would kiss his hand. I think that you would. I remember actually in um, "Power and the Glory," uh, in with by Graham Greene, they ta- speak of the Mexicans always kissing a priest's hand. So I don't know when the when the Anglo Catholics. I don't know. Stop doing that. I don't know if they did it all, all the way up to the council and uh, the glorious revolution of the 60s. Uh, do y'all know if, if we were, were Anglo Catholics kissing priests hand in America or in?
3: I think they yeah, were. I
0: would imagine so. I think so. they were.
3: I think yeah, they were. Could... And I only I only know this just the gentleman who taught me how to serve. Uh, he was a, a former Institute of Christ the King seminarian. And he was like the guy who, you know, could write, you know, 2000 page tome on the liturgy, uh, you know, for fun. <laughs> he, he's that kind of guy. And uh, yeah, it, from what it sounded like, it sounded like it was fairly common in the United States and Western Europe up until maybe around like the 40s or 50s. And then it kind of started to die off in certain places. It kind of just depended on maybe like what kind of mass you were going to, you know, whether this is going to be a pontifical mass or, or something to that effect. But Thankfully, uh, it's funny, at the parish that I'm at, it's a, it's mixed, right? Uh, and so it has the new liturgy and the old liturgy. And at the old liturgy, it's funny because when we have um, kind of like the rotation of diocesan priests, I'm really big on doing all the the kissy-kissies, <laughs> as you say. And um, because of that, sometimes the priests are kind of just like confused. <laughs> whenever you know, they're handing me their beretta, and I immediately like kiss the beretta in their hand, they're like. Okay, you know, I'm not used to this, so it's 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 quite fun. I like it. I think it should be a thing,
0: oh yeah, absolutely well, uh just a few brief announcements then we talk about let's talk about uh ghost stories and spooky Halloween and uh, the, the the title of this uh youtube uh broadcast, which is a joke, is um what did I say it was puritan pagan occult Catholic Halloween, I think just to catch all the <laughs> all the search bars basically <laughs> but, uh so so this week on Meaning of catholic we'll have a, a continuation of the saint john paul ii and saint marcel the moderate series um which is bound to put everyone uh make everyone angry basically um but uh if you want the full content on that you have to become a guild member patreon.com slash Meaning of catholic also in an announcement the uh The guild and others and the wolf pack are doing a consecration to Mary. If you've never consecrated yourself to Mary, you have to consecrate yourself to Mary. Um, You don't have to under pain of mortal sin. It's not required, but I I highly encourage you to do so. Uh, It will change your life. It will radically alter everything. Uh, Consecrate yourself to Mary. So the the wolf pack prayer chain is doing that. I think Haley is heading that up, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. That's okay. And that's beginning. So you consecrate yourself. It's a 33 day preparation, and we you just pick a Marian feast day, and the feast day is Immaculate Conception. So that's I believe it starts November five, which I I I think Mm -hmm. is this Saturday. Where's my calendar? But it's very that's right very soon. So if, if you if you want to join us in consecrating yourself to Mary, join the Wolfpack Prayer Chain. I'll put the link below, and. Join us for consecrating to Mary. So any other announcements before we get into our topic, gentlemen, you want to get uh,
1: into- one one very astute gentleman in the chat noticed that uh Bannister looks different today. Yes. So true. He, he shout out to Hispanic, Adrian
0: actually. <laughs> yeah. Adrian. Uh so so Adrian, I I um Día de los Muertos in the in the United States is something that has become commercialized now. So we we can you can buy candy skulls at Aldi now. Um and so you are Venezuelan in Florida, what is Día de los Muertos or Halloween for Venezuelans? Is that is that Día de los Muertos is that more like Mexican or tell us about it from a Catholic Venezuelan perspective.
2: Yeah, so it's actually very interesting because Dia de los Muertos, um, as we can think of it in the, in the popular culture, when we think of the, the, the sugar skulls and we think of the, 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 those yellow flowers, we think of the, the altars and such, that properly is a Mexican uh, tradition, a Mexican uh, cultural um, touchpoint, uh, that in and of itself. Obviously, what it comes, what's really influenced, what's really influenced by is uh you know the, the the for the for the it's for all the prayers for the souls in purgatory it's all the prayers for faithfully departed that's where it comes from it comes from the the catholic tradition so you see that all over uh the catholic world and especially in the hispanic world uh and it's interesting because in speaking um, you know with with my family speaking with with, with everyone you know i wanted to, to make sure that i kind of understood this more uh in Venezuela you know it just used to be uh just just about the, the liturgical calendar and just about the you know the, the the prayers on uh November 1st November 2nd you know on Tide. but it's interesting because you see that it's been influenced over time over time uh you know uh you know in Venezuela and in other countries um I, I used to I used to study in Spain and when I was studying in Spain you also see the same thing, you know, they would have their, the, some, some, uh, some of the liturgical traditions uh, for uh, November 2nd, especially, you know, going to the cemetery, uh, you know, visiting uh, the graves, praying for the, for the faithfully departed. Um, But then slowly it's been influenced by Halloween, the, the, the American, you know, uh, cultural hegemony, you know, is, is, uh, is very real. And it's, and so it's, you see that a lot of places have been, um, Incorporating American Halloween into their in, into their their day to day uh, trick or treating, uh, dressing up, all this all this different kind of thing. Um, whereas you know, especially like in a, somewhere like Venezuela, if uh, people did get into costume, it was more for for Carnival. It was for for you know Carnival for that season, uh, and it wasn't anything you know necessarily spooky or anything like that. Um, but it was just dressing up in different sorts of costumes um mostly you know colorful or or something like that so it's interesting because you see that uh you know halloween proper right is just it, it in the same way that uh Tierra los muertos is a, a mexican touchpoint cultural touchpoint halloween in and, of, in and of itself is really just a. Created in, in, in America, right? And because it's it's properly American culture, and because America is the cultural superpower, it's uh, it's 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 all over the, the the place now. It's it's really just you know in, being incorporated everywhere else, especially with the young people, especially because the, the, the older people uh, might be more resistant to sort of that the the idea of uh, the candy and, and dressing up and stuff like that. Uh, but the, the young people really embrace it because they they want to uh, they want to, to, to do the things they see uh, in movies. They want to do the things they see online. They want to do the things they see all over social media. Because, yeah, Halloween is, uh, especially in the States, is like the, the second biggest commercial holiday after Christmas. And so, you know, obviously, you know, uh, companies in, in other countries also want to, you know, <laughs> kind of uh, capitalize in, into that. And uh, if you have young people that are interested they want to participate they want to do these things
0: uh then
2: they'll they'll start
0: doing it um yeah the is um i'm wondering if there's a pre-christian pagan uh tradition in venezuela because like there's the you got the gallegos in spain you got the mexican aztecs had different and the, the Samhain. i think uh i think that's in in ireland um And I don't know if English had a similar thing, but there was something at this time of year where there was a pre-Christian festival of the dead where they were trying to communicate with dead spirits and all that stuff. And they believed that the netherworld was closer to the real world at this time. So there was there was there nothing like that in Venezuela to pre or in that that region of South America um, to provide the momentum for more of this sort of thing at this time of year? Do you know, Adrian? (laughs) So
2: when it comes to this, you know, uh, as far as as far as I know, uh, I would I would say no, Uh, you know, as far as as, as, is in in my research, I haven't found anything like that. Uh, It's not to say that that, you know, the 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 Native Americans of uh, Venezuela didn't have anything like this. Uh, But as far as as I know, I I don't I don't believe so. Uh, I know that the uh, for the Aztecs, the the whole, uh, you know, pagan traditions when it comes to the afterlife is is uh, is very pronounced. It's it's very big, and um, it might it might just be that the uh, the, the natives in, in, in Venezuela just you know uh, was it wasn't really sort of a, like a codified um, culture so to speak, like in uh, sort of the big the big uh, civilizations of the Aztecs, the Incas, and such. You know, so here uh, here as well, like you know, in North America, it's not like we 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 can sort of understand a lot of the the big sort of mythology of of, of small um, tribes uh, that, that lived uh, in in various places and so the 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 people of Venezuela uh, at the time you know again just a lot of a lot of different sort of tribes in, in that area but not not really like one huge like cultural uh, hegemony uh, for for the natives
0: excellent thanks thanks Adrian um... This is very interesting. Um, I, I don't really know much about South America at all, so I appreciate that. Um, a traditional Thomas Cavazos, I want to I get your, your experience of Halloween, but first I wanted to share um, this article, which I think is really great, because the, the thing is, All Saints Day itself was originally, back in May, it was the pre-Christian Roman pagan festival of all gods, and the pa- the the popes baptized that feast into our all saints so the the practice of everyone should ever, as catholics we should all know that the ca- the catholic church baptizes all pagan rituals makes makes them cleanses all the demonic content from it jettisons that takes what is good in it and adds what is lacking from the christian perspective so obviously the the communication some sort of desire to communicate with the dead desire to commune with the dead is in and of itself a good thing because we do have the communion of saints. We have the communion with the souls in purgatory. We want to help them. But typically what is done in, in the pre-Christian is that there, there is an invocation of demons or the invocation of, um, diviners or all sorts of demonic things to try to get to that as King Saul did in the Bible when he, inv- he uh, brought up the ghost of, of, um, Samuel. Um, but so, we know how to deal with these things as Catholics. It's always funny how um, I, because the the Puritan influence in, in the Anglo American culture. Because my kids will watch like will, will watch um, the TV show. It's an old show, and he has books too. Richard Scary, and uh, in Richard Scary, they have like I think there's like one episode where there's a ghost or something. And everybody's scared of the ghost, and it's funny how as as Catholics you. Becoming Catholic, I just find that um, we, we can deal with dead, with, with the dead and with death in general better than Protestants can. Protestants are generally really scared of death or they don't know how to deal with the or, or like ghosts. It's like, well, they, you know, people have a ghost problem or there's a ghost haunting or the, there's something going on with the demonic. Well, might as you got to just go call the priest to deal with that. You know, we have a method of, of dealing with that all. Uh, but I wanted to highlight this um, article, which I will link, which I think is a great one that we published last year, One Peter Five, which is all about the traditions of sort of a, a Dia de los Muertos in the European tradition. This right here is a mosaic about the dance of the dead. This was a, this was the f- things that people would dress up like skeletons. And uh, this is, p- this particular, um, painting is a pope as you can see uh here's the pope and here's the skeletons talking to the pope to tell him that he's going to die and the idea of that our european forefathers would have these various festivals of of sort of um confronting the reality of death and this is something that europeans were very well aware of because you had the plague and people were dying left and right at certain times in history um but there is certainly a Catholic element of skulls and skeletons. That's very much a, a Catholic thing. You can go to certain, you know, you have relics and there's certain monasteries and churches which have a, a, a many skulls and skeletons. Um, but this is a really great article. that talks all about sort of this, the, the Catholic macabre tradition, which is a very much a good thing because it helps us remember death and uh, not doing it any, in any sort of occult way. But Cavazos, you, are, you were a former Baptist, Protestant, something or other, fundamentalist. You came into the church. What has been your
3: experience of Halloween? I feel like I've almost treated Halloween in three stages in my life. So when I was a kid, <clears throat> it was interesting. I, my parents, they come from a very just like broad, non-denominational background. And not to be uncharitable, but maybe just factual, non-denominationalism doesn't really believe in anything, <laughs> you know, in the sense that it's just so open to, like, everybody that you can have whatever opinions you want. I mean, it, it's a an, kind of in the same point. And so when I was a kid, we would celebrate Halloween in, a, I guess, like a very normal, modest way in the sense that, um, you know, we, w- we were, me and my younger sister, we were the only kids on the block, And so my parents dress us up as I think most parents want to whenever you're a pretty young kid. Uh, And they would take us around and I mean, shoot, it's free candy, right? And it's a neighborhood full of old people. And so they're just like, you know, it's nice to have one trick or treater show up at our door. And so growing up, that's how it was. I think I I enjoyed it a lot uh, growing up because I think for me, it was just an excuse to like don some type of civil war uniform or something like that whenever i was younger uh so which i would often do something historical but to your point on how protestants treat it as i got older in my views kind of morphed from my parents where i became more conservative in the protestant sense um, halloween definitely became an absolute no-go um halloween in the world of fundamentalism um You know, I think they just see it very much so as just this is an excuse to celebrate that which is satanic, you know, in some form or or another, which I mean, you know, there is at least a hint of that, right? I think that there are definitely like the American cultural aspect can go way too far in the sense of just like, um, yeah, let's promote just that which is like more blatantly evil. Um, You also do see with young people, especially young women, um, a big interest in trying to communicate with spirits. Right. Um, this is something you see exorcists even bring up and talk about. And then also, unfortunately, you know, I live in a, a t- I live right outside of a, I guess, somewhat major city in uh, in Texas. I live in a small town, but the major city has multiple college campuses. And, you know, unfortunately, the immodesty and the kind of party culture is just ratcheted up to 12, if you will, during this season. So I think whenever I was younger and more fundamental, I would look at that and I would just be like, why can you give me like one good element out of all of this? But as time went on uh, and I ended up becoming Catholic, I actually kind of toned down. And I think it does come to that idea of like, how do we treat the dead? Do we have this fear of the dead? And um, I think that mainly probably where Protestants are coming from is I just think it's just a misapplication, a misunderstanding of Catholic uh, devotions for the Holy Souls in purgatory in the sense that you know, you start off with uh, you know Luther hacking away uh, the what you know he considers apocryphal books, right? And you know the Maccabean books really speak so much of, as well as the Book of Tobit, so much of this idea of praying for the dead. Uh, and you know it's odd because he does this and uh, as like a desire to you know purge the Old Testament from all Greek influence. Let me go back to just what the Hebrews would have considered canon. But it's odd because the Hebrews themselves. We're already doing, you know, different devotions, if you will, in their culture to the dead. And so you have that, but then you have with that spirit of, you know, liberalism, if you will, that's inside of Protestantism, the spirit of raising the will over the intellect and saying, you know, it's my choice. Then of course you have from that, you know, uh, I'm just going to kind of pick and choose what I want. So whenever they apply this to this situation of Halloween, you definitely have conservative Protestants who have, Absolutely, want nothing to do with it. Like completely no go. And then you have, uh, I guess, progressive, if you will, Protestantism. Which, I mean, shoot, they don't stand for anything. And so they're just like, yeah, let's do everything. I mean, progressive, progressive, modern day Christianity is just like, you want to celebrate Ramadan too? Why not? You know, let's <laughs> let's be all inclusive. <laughs> um, and so, <laughs> in that sense, I think where where I've come to be is a. I'm. I think it's. A, I think that there's a good, healthy amount of celebratory celebrations this year uh, just even seeing all of the really wonderful photos of uh everyone's children right in our kind of larger family chat uh seeing everyone dressed up that's that's really fun I enjoy that and so I think it's good and then the last thing I'll say is the only thing that I know maybe that touches upon this direct subject of ghosts that Aquinas brings up right because I got to bring Thomas into this uh, is i think it's in his treatise on man which is in the prima pars it's the longest section i think in uh, the prima pars he talks about ghosts he basically asks something or other the question does do ghosts exist right and his answer for this is if you quote unquote see a ghost really comes down to one of two things either a you're just like, you know, seeing stuff that's not there, right? You're disillusioned. You're you're just seeing things, right? Or B, it's demonic and they're messing around as human beings, right? They're, they're, they're pretending to be a human being. Um, and so that's why, you know, I don't believe in ghosts in the sense that they're hanging out here on earth uh, at all. I mean, Scripture says, you know, in the book of Hebrews, to be absent from the body is to be present. The Lord, uh, Benedict the 15th, or Benedict the six, 13 13th, yeah has dogmatically taught, the reality of like once this body dies, the soul instantaneously is before the throne of God to receive the particular judgment, um, and then also just logic tells me that if ghosts did ex- do exist, why would they be hanging out in creepy houses? Like if you guys were ghosts, to be honest. If you guys were ghosts, would you be hanging out in a creepy house? I'd be like going to space. I'd be going. Uh, yes, one hundred percent. I'd be going to like all these cool places. <laughs> and then you know when you try reasoning with people, hmm. they're like, well, they're trapped. I'm like, can you rationally explain to me how they're trapped? I want to hear this conversation, how this goes. So Here,
1: here's how it goes: If I'm a ghost, I am picking the most rickety house in <laughs> urban New England that to scare the crap out of kids on Halloween. That's it.
3: Yeah, that's my my so only. So the thing. south of France can wait. That's what the yeah. ghosts do for fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly. Like, Come on, Cavazos. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm just like. I don't know. It's like common American ghost lore, I think is just, just lacks a lot of reason in my personal opinion, but that's kind of where I'm at. I think Halloween's good. I, it's not really something I personally celebrate in the sense of like, I mean, I'm not to be that guy, but I'm a little old for getting dressed up. There's no one on my block. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and so, and also let's just be honest, I think like a 25 year old just knocking on a door at this point in a costume. <laughs> like candy, yeah, yeah. A little sketch, you know? So. <laughs> And Uh-oh. so, uh, but yeah, it's it's okay as long as long as it's moral, right? As long as you're doing it, you're not being immodest, you're not making it a party scene. There's mm-hmm. good intention behind it. Go for it, have a great time, be safe, and don't be dumb. You know, if you're yep. over like 12, you should not be trick or treated.
0: No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely by the time you're in high school, but it is what it is. Um, no, I think I in my in my few decades on this earth uh, there's been an evolution of sorts on my end too. And I think, uh, sort of similar to, to Nicholas's perspective. And I, I would imagine you guys are probably pretty similar as well. Um, at first it's like, as a child, Hey, this is awesome. You know, I get to dress up, I get a bunch of free candy. Once in a while, my folks had a party where aunts and uncles would come to our house for once, you know, and just kind of celebrate and hang out. And then you start, you know, later in life, maybe taking your faith more seriously. And you realize what am I wait what is this like scary things that's bad right i can't do that uh and then i think after years of having children and trying you know you could err on the more puritan side of things like absolutely not we're not doing this that's demonic and then you could you could err on the oh it's fine um just whatever you want to be you know you can dress up as freddy krueger or whoever and it's okay as with many other things i think there's that That middle ground, and I think acknowledging that has been helpful for our family. You know, because we've been at both extremes. We've been like, "Oh no, it's fine. It's it doesn't mean anything at all," and then realizing, "Well, maybe it kind of does. Maybe we shouldn't do that." And then we swing the other direction too far. And I think we've we've uh, in the last several years sort of moderated our own perspective. Um, And and I think again, that's that's ultimately a good thing because of the. Catholic roots of this, of this celebration. So we have, you know, while you guys were talking, different ideas rolling around in my head. Um, why dress up? Well, it's a, a mockery of death in a sense, you know, we're, we're taking things like ghosts and goblins and whatever other things that may or may not exist, uh, and and sort of putting them on little children and saying, Oh, look at how not scary I am. Give me some candy. You know, and so in that way, it's a it's a reminder that our Lord has conquered death, and we don't have much to fear. On the other hand, we should remember and we should fear our death if we're not living in a state of grace. So there's that other, you know, maybe more sinister aspect of uh, like like the picture that you had up on the screen a little while ago, Tim, where these skeletons are carting a pope off to his eternal reward whether they're good or bad. You know what I mean? It's, uh, this is going to happen to everybody. It's a little creepy. We don't need to be afraid of it. Mm, Except you kind of do need to be afraid of it. So again, there's this dynamic tension in the, in the middle ground where you want to say, oh, it's, it's all right. Christ has conquered death. But then on the other hand, but if I'm not living rightly, I might suffer from this. So to, to to balance that both and, uh, I think it, it can be tricky, but can be doable. And that's um, part of the beauty of our faith is that you, you almost never have to leave either thing aside. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then uh, an, an observation to sort of maybe tie it back in with our feast yesterday. I was thinking uh, if Christ the King is always the last Sunday in October, that means it's never before um all saints and all souls and the reason uh that I think this is significant and and you know correct me if I'm wrong here guys but the way the communion of saints operates is only through unity in Christ and so you know does the church condemn divination of course are you supposed to contact the dead well no But what that is referring to is outside of unity in Christ. So can we seek the prayers of saints? Can we ask Our Lady for Of course you can. Why wouldn't you? What we're not supposed to do is try to step outside of that communion of saints, outside of the reign of Christ the King, and contact the souls illicitly on our own, like Saul was trying to do. So the fact that the feast of Christ the King occurs always at the latest on Halloween, which would, which could only ever be the last day of, uh, the last Sunday could only be as late as Halloween. It could never be November 1st. obviously this, this, uh, like triduum of the dead, this hollow tide is simply because he has conquered, right? We can mock death because he has conquered. And we can remember our death and and hope for the the, the reward in heaven because Christ has conquered. And we can uh, ask the saints to pray for us because Christ has conquered. All these things sort of make these three days really just one extended reflection, if you will. Does that make sense? What do you guys think?
3: Yeah, yeah you're, so actually, you're actually spot on with uh, your interpretation of why the Church and her wisdom has put that feast there. So a missile, I really enjoy. Using particularly is uh, the St. Andrew's Missal because it just has so many good like uh, introductions. If you ah, there you go, right? Uh, <laughs> in the St. <Saint> Andrew gang. <laughs> um, well, I, I love the like the uh, introductions it does to all the feast days, and I always like to read them before mass. And in reading and preparing for mass yesterday, that's what it focuses on. It's this idea that you know, as probably all of us know, the feast is instituted to promote. The social kingship of christ not that he's just king of man's hearts but he's king of civil society but what the reason that the church lays it out the way that she does is that if christ is our king right if christ is our king then we will just naturally become saints right if we're truly submitting with our intellect and will to his laws through his divine grace then we are going to be transformed grace will uh will not destroy nature but will heal man's nature and bring it into that reality which therefore leads us into that reality of we as fallen human beings will die, right? We will all naturally die and our souls will live on. And it's a, I, I really liked your, your balance that you took right between like kind of the both extremes of Halloween. It's just that balance between scrupulosity and presumption. Mm-hmm. It all comes back down to that. And that's where we have to practice the virtue of hope and say, okay, you know, uh, I can, on the one hand, right, should not be presumptuous and just be like, eh, you know, live and let live, do what you want to do, because that is going to be inviting um, sin into a fallen man's life. Um, I think of the redemptress often whenever they're talking to the souls that are uh, are out in the world that are lost. Oftentimes what they will hear, maybe what you guys hear, is when you're trying to convince someone of the reality of hell, you're like, you know, How bad is this? And you'll sometimes hear them mock and just say, well, you know, all my friends are going there, so I want to go there. And it's almost just kind of like, do you realize what you're saying, like, don't say that, don't speak that way. Like, that's just so, so sad what you're saying. But then on the other hand, what does hope do? Hope gives us an assurance, right? Not a, you know, eternal security assurance, but it gives us a trust, a hopeful uh, reliance that's rooted in both faith and charity uh, upon the person of Christ that says, okay, well, Christ has conquered death. Right. I mean, and then from there, if I, by God's grace, cooperate with his grace and imitate his life, I will die. But yet I will, as St. Paul says, also rise again. Right. It's that beautiful reality. And so I do think it's really beautiful how the church lays out her feast days. Right. If you're just paying attention. Right. It's not it's not a random smorgasbord.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Hey, oh, go ahead, Jake. Well, I, I think it's cool that Nicholas gets a chance to read and pray before Mass. I'm usually fighting a toddler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I feel like all, all that's Halloween... in the St. Andrew Missile. I had no idea because I didn't get a chance to reflect like I had planned. Well, you definitely get a a, a new
0: perspective on Halloween uh, when you have kids. Uh, mm. It's like everything's way more fun with the kid, like Christmas and Halloween, just, well, Christmas especially, but. Yeah, Halloween and Easter, too. I mean, great, great um, kid stuff. I, I really love, I mean, people, Catholics and Christians often lament the secularization of Christmas and the secularization of Easter and the secularization of Halloween and everything. Uh, but to a degree, even in Christendom, there wouldn't there wasn't as much a distinction. Like today, we have a distinction between Catholics and non-Catholics. In Christendom, everybody's Catholic, but then the distinction is just you're pious or you're not pious, basically. So you're always you would always have a certain amount of secularization, even in Christendom of people just sort of getting into the festival who weren't really pious. They were just getting Mm -hmm. into the magic of the feast or whatever. And I think that to a degree, that's that's a there's a good thing. There's a good sense of just the general momentum of Mm -hmm. the Catholic feast days carrying over into our second world, because. We go back to the French Revolution. They tried to abolish the entire calendar and invent an entirely new calendar with like ten days per week and all this insanity, and they were totally unsuccessful. They couldn't do it. The people just rejected it. You know, and there's there's a certain mockery of secularization when mm-hmm. when I go to the grocery store and I see like Santa Claus on like the, the whatever all this you know secularized stuff. It's like wow, they 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 just can't invent something better than what we already gave the society they have to just revel in the magic of christmas because christmas is magical i I tell my kids that this is jesus magic this is real magic see (laughs) this is you know this the real i I guess i don't really get too especially with the kids I i don't get too frustrated about this like extra stuff that isn't that quite religious like santa claus and elves like i don't you know make santa claus into a religion as some may do but I'm not like totally against it because it's just like, well, this is just like a bunch of folklore, you know, attached Mm. to the feast. And there's always been these little folklores and different wives tales or whatever. That's like, as long as you're not sort of absolutizing it and making it into an occult superstition, it's just fun and games, you know, fun and games for the kids. So, um, but uh, Cavazos, I wanted to ask you about um, Samuel's ghost. What does St. Thomas say about, King Saul bringing up Samuel does if Samuel since Samuel actually talks to King Saul what does he say on that point or what's your opinion on that in terms of ghosts
3: yeah so he doesn't write a commentary on that but there have been a few sections where he does bring it up as a reference in the Summa Theologiae and he brings it up as um, I believe specifically in blank it's it's in the but it's talking about the era of witchcraft right? Divinization. And it's this idea that, you know, on the one hand, right, going back to the Prima Pars, there's, you know, hallucinations, right? There's demonic stuff, right? That's probably 99% of people who are like, you know, I saw my grandpa. And I'm like, "Mm, probably not. Um, And then there is that scenario. And you see this also with people who mess around with things like Ouija boards, right? And other things. Um, And so how Aquinas would address this is he's going to say, this is going to be a situation where, because it's part of the grand arc of salvation history, right? has a teleological purpose that's fit into the narrative, that God allowed so, uh, Samuel to be brought back uh, in a certain sense. Because what do you see? You see Samuel give a, a definitive message. And it's a, it's a terrifying message, right? I mean, you just read it and you're just kind of like, yeah, I wish I didn't dial up the wrong number. Um, right it's like you will be with me tomorrow <laughs> oh yeah you will be with me tomorrow it's very it's very spooky. it's a very yeah. spooky message it's very i mean yeah just like you look at the story like okay this man who was this anointed right he was anointed and you see even in the old testament you see uh before he really goes off his rocker if you want to use that language he's like not just anointed but he's filled with the holy ghost right he's filled with the holy ghost and he prophesies this is Samuel, or not Samuel, this is Saul. But then Saul, because of his you know, sins, is sent a, an evil spirit, if you will, by the Lord, which is something very uh, non-PC about our, our religion, right? Is that God will, does send chastisements. And then he goes from this man of God all the way down to, he goes to a random witch's house and then summons up a prophet and the prophet just throws it out and says, you are going to die tomorrow and you're going to be with me. Right. What I find interesting is like when he, you were going to be with me, here's my personal scholastic question that I, I haven't figured out yet. If he says you're going to be with me, does he mean Saul maybe had a moment of forgiveness where he would go to say limbo of the fathers? I don't know. I kind of doubt it just because that reality of how did Saul die? Right, He died by suicide, right? He died by killing himself in the battle. Um, And so... Yeah, Aquinas is going to address it that in that way, right? It, it's going to be part of the the narrative. But divinization, right? It's always a no go. Don't mess around with it. Um, I don't know. What do you guys have a, a thought well, on? That?
0: Okay, so you're saying that Saint Thomas does admit there is sort of this ghost apparition that actually does happen. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not, even though that that would be an extraordinary case, obviously. Yeah, extraordinary. Um, yeah. My, I, I, think I, I think Chaloner has a comment where he just says, obviously, divinization is wrong. It's demonic, but God permitted mm-hmm. this demonic yeah. thing because all the de- all the fallen angels are under His power, and if the fallen angels do anything, it's only with God's permission. That's why the, de- the evil demon tormented Saul because God, God punishes evil men by withdrawing the grace of His protection, and then the demons are able to get in. So all of this is within his providence. So God permitted the ghost of Saul to come and speak with, I'm sorry, the ghost of Samuel to come and speak with King Saul, um, not to approve demonization, but Mm -hmm. to rebuke Saul and to rebuke others who may have seen it or whatever. To bring them to repentance, um, Adrian, what are your thoughts on all this? Do you believe in ghosts? What are your thoughts?
2: So uh, I do, yeah, I believe in ghosts. Uh, basically, you know, I've I've heard um, uh, you know incredible stories from 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 priests and stuff like that. Uh, I think of a, I think of a particular story of uh, I do I will tell a ghost story right now. So I, <laughs> I think of um, um, we
0: do need some ghost stories. Yeah, yeah thank
2: you. I, I I think uh, of uh, of uh, of the story. Uh, I'm not sure where I heard it, uh, but that's 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 the best type of ghost story. Um, Apparently, there was a a priest in a monastery and uh, there was a he there was there was a a very holy monk in the monastery uh, who had recently passed away. And uh, and so this priest was, you know, in in the in the the, the main church uh, before the tabernacle. And he was uh, there alone in silence, praying uh, before uh, our blessed Lord. And uh, all of a sudden, he sees his uh, his departed uh, brother, uh, brother monk, uh, and he genuflects before the altar. And he was he was taken aback, but the the the, the monk approaches him, and and he he, he, was, he was he was he was asking. How, how is it possible that that, that that I'm that I'm witnessing you right now? And he the 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 um, uh, the dead monk tells uh, the uh, the uh, the priest that in his life he never he he would often neglect uh, to genuflect before the the altar, and essentially now in purgatory, uh, our Lord was was permitting others to see him, uh, so that he could be a lesson to others of the, of the, of the reality of the fact that your actions matter and even small things like genuflections can, can cost you, uh, that salvation, uh, that immediate sort of, uh, 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 ability to see the face of God. And so you have to make reparations for it. You have to make, uh, you have to, you have to actually atone for those, those, uh, those venial sins as well. And so it's uh, it was that, that story was very incredible to me, but um, I do think I do think that on that level, I mean, I think yeah, I think mean, I think there's there's been many many um, times where souls in purgatory will appear to people, um, and uh, or, or just appear in general um, because God permits it, you know, and, and I think that that's a reality, and you know, just tangentially. You know, you, you do hear, um hear stories, and you know, I've just had some, I've had some, some, some sort of experiences in my life where, you know, just, I sometimes I'm just thinking, okay, well, maybe it's either some sort of uh, preternatural force, or I mean, this is some sort of ghost, you know, in in my own life, tangentially, you know. So, I, I yeah, I would say, I would say this, it is, it is a reality, uh, and I think obviously it, it depends. I think there's there's um, there's souls that that are. Well-meaning, right? Like the souls in purgatory, and I think there's uh forces that obviously they're just not 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 out for anything good. They're out to to uh, to hurt.
0: Fowler, you want to weigh in on this?
1: Uh, yeah. So I read uh, an interesting article last night. I don't know, Tim, if I can share my screen or not. Yeah, you can. So click share the, on can the bottom, the little plus. Click share on the bottom. Yeah, I can put it up. How about I send the link to you? Yeah, is that, yeah fine? that works too. Okay, here we go. Let's see if this works in the in the. Um, there we go. Okay, got it. Yeah, I got it. Okay, so this is written. It was on uh, alatea.org. Is it okay for Catholics to tell ghost stories? And written by Father Michael Rainier, um, who's a priest in this archdiocese. Uh, I. Acquaintance of mine, and happy to say that uh, many conversations have always been interesting with Father Michael. But he basically uh, goes on in, in the article to say that uh, it is okay. Again, keeping in mind you don't want to go too far on the demonic side, but it is—it's—it's it's fun to to be a little spooked out from time to time. Right. And he and he brings up things like um, Chesterton wrote a ghost story and probably more than one. Lewis uh, wrote a ghost story and probably more than one. In fact, I was going to mention it earlier. Chesterton's ghost story. I read it last night when I because there's a link in here. Uh, Sadly, the link isn't working right now. But uh, if it comes back around, the the ghost story that Chesterton wrote is actually about Christmas. And he mentions in, in conjunction with Dickens, like a Christmas carol that's the ghost story, you know? So there's, uh, as Catholics, uh, and I guess we could say as, uh, Christians broadly, even if you don't profess the Catholic faith, this is open to you to, to understand that, um, again, these realities are at one and the same time, they, they mediate to us something about death. We can mock death and we're reminded of our own death so it's very uh it's very incarnational honestly to think about disembodied spirits walking the earth because then i don't want to be one of them right and i want to live the way i am now for christ to avoid that right and i think that's uh if i remember correctly that's how father rainier ends his reflection is basically that every time you know halloween comes around he always is reminded to enjoy some of the more bodily experiences lest he become a ghost, right? He doesn't say that, but that's, I'm, I'm adding to that. So yeah, that, that was an interesting, uh, and, and relatively short for anyone interested, um, recommend that article. And then I saw one at crisis magazine as well. I didn't get a chance to finish it though. So I I can't really speak to that, but that's, that's where I, uh, was alerted to the idea of mocking death because so i think the the author on that that's one of his main points is that um we can mock it because it's been conquered so yeah, yeah those there's are my- the,
0: on crisis there's the truest ghost story ever told uh which oh. says that this is a catholic ghost story on on crisis so you can check that out oh, I so i didn't that.
1: see that one there was one about uh and it may not have been from this year it was sent to me uh what do you tell your kids about halloween that that was the title oh, okay uh and yeah i don't know how i didn't check the date but um you know the author made a really good point he's like just tell them what it is like be a catholic about it you know have fun
0: yeah and i, I wanted to um, address one question that was bouncing around in the chat between uh shamus and optimistic one they were they were talking about uh, and i kavasas i want to ask this to you um people were debating about whether or not you can pray for all the souls like Mm -hmm. non-catholics who have died can you pray for them after they died um can you pray for a catholic who was known to be in mortal sin as far as we can tell when they died which dogmatic teaching would say that if you die in a state of mortal sin you go to hell that's it boom um for and it was brought up suicide. Suicide is obviously the committing of a mortal sin and transferring your soul into the afterlife by means of a mortal sin. But then there's also the consideration of mental health culpability as well if someone's insane or what things like that. So that's difficult to determine. So Cavassos, what are your what's your comment? Uh what's your Thomistic precision on uh sh- can we pray for everybody? Only some people. What are your thoughts?
3: According to Thomas, we cannot pray for everybody. Actually, Uh, so he this he addresses this. So he originally addresses this in his uh, commentary on the sentences of Peter Lombard. And then uh, Brother Reginald transferred this over into the supplement. The supplement is part of the summa, y'all. Um, there's some oh, debate. Oh, oh, you're a supplementalist. Okay. Yeah, no, not, you're obviously it. a heretic. <laughs> 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 Just um, kidding. That was a joke. Okay. <laughs> Tomist. Yeah, yeah. Tomist. <laughs> um, But yeah, he does bring this up. And so he quotes from, I believe it's St. Gregory the Great, as well as St. Augustine. He addresses this question. And... He basically, to sum this up uh, in a brief way of summing his teaching up, he says that if you know that this person is not a Catholic, right, then they're outside of the body of Christ, right? They're outside of the body of Christ uh, or alien to the Church of Christ to use that. I think that's more of the language he uses. And therefore, if you were going to give your prayers for that person, right, in a certain sense, it would almost be useless, right? Almost in a certain sense be useless because – um, This person is not part of the body of Christ. So he he does address that. Okay, yeah, there you go. Uh, it's somewhere in the supplement. I know that. Somewhere in the supplement. Uh, and so he addresses that. But then when it comes to the subject of praying for those who are in mortal sin who are known to die, this is where I think it's important to remember the order of how theology works in the sense that I— one of my personal kind of like quasi hot takes is that one of the reasons I think we have a lot of ambiguity in the modern day, in the context of theology is because I think that really starting from the sixties onward, I think what we've done is we've like inverted the order of knowing what we believe and then the pastoral application of that. And I think we flipped it to where pastoral theology has now kind of triumphed over dogmatic theology. And so dogmatically, we have to remember the soul who dies in mortal sin, right, as you said, Tim, right, is it goes to hell, right? That is just what the church teaches. Um, And so, therefore, how I would look at that is I would say, you know, you know, some of the situations might be a bit dicey, right? Sometimes moral theology isn't as black and white in every area of its application. So sometimes you could ask the question, you know, how do we know that they absolutely died in mortal sin, right? There's all those famous stories of even the the great confessor, St. John Vianney, we'll talk about, you know, Uh, you probably guys, you know, the story that like, there's the woman who comes to him to confession, right? And she decides kind of to leave because the line is so early, but she's really worried because her husband and, and I'll lead into suicide on this. He dumps off a bridge and he's falling and he dies. Right. And so she thinks that, you know, he's died and gone to hell, but because, of the love for this great confessor, the of Vars. She, she really just wants to see if he would know the answer to this. And she decides to leave because the line is too long. And then he just steps out of the confessional and he says, your husband is in purgatory. He prayed a perfect act of contrition while he was falling, right? And we can praise God for that, right? That God's mercy is great, right? And it is wider than um, some of us even understand, right? Um, but when it comes to suicide, it's one of those issues where, again, because it's a, a touchy subject, I'll, I'll speak in a very, um, I guess, mild manner. The church does teach, of course, right, especially in her traditional catechisms, right, that suicide is a violation of the fifth commandment thou shalt not kill, right? It is a violation of that. Um, and so, therefore, traditionally, when you look at Alphonsus, you look at Father Pumer, when you look at uh, all great moral theologians, you're going to see it, right, that suicide is a mortal sin. However, however, this is where our theology continues to um, develop, right? Because with the understanding of, um, you know, mental health science, which in the context of human history is very new, right? Us actually understanding that we have to recognize that there are lots of situations where people are, um, right, uh, inhibited in some form or fashion inside of their, their intellect uh, to where they were not giving a full consent, if you will, maybe with their will or they weren't recognizing what they were doing. And you see that this is not even, you know, it's not, it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, we, we for instance, we take, uh, we recognize that, like, for instance, if a person uh, is asleep and commits some form of a sin, right, um, that that's not a sin because, like, it, it's not a sin in the sense of mortal sin because that person is not aware of it. It might be a venial sin because of the action done, but it's not mortally sinful. And I would say let's apply that to suicide. And so when it comes to cases of suicide, you know, if you know they're Catholic and it's a case of suicide, I think it's a great action of charity to pray for their soul, to offer a requiem masses for them, uh, to pray the rosary for them. Uh, I think it's a very pious devotion that uh, all Catholics should do where before they go to bed to say a couple of prayers for the dead, um, it, you know, just remember them. Right. Of course, none of us will know. Right. Until hopefully by God's grace, we are transformed uh, into that person that we are meant to be and therefore transformed uh, in, up into heaven. Um, But that's how I think the Thomistic approach would be, is it's like, in a certain sense, if you just know that they're not, right, I know it sounds very pious, but Aquinas and Augustine and St. Gregor the Great, they're going to have some problems with that. And I think that that's that's warranted. But on the other hand, right, I think that the God's mercy is very great. And so we have to recognize that as our, you know, science is developed, we can incorporate our theology into that. and It doesn't contradict anything, right? The, The genus of the doctrine is still there. Um, so that's how I'd answer it, if that makes sense. So hopefully that answers you guys. Excellent. Thank you. I appreciate your, your Thomistic precision. I'm glad that you've, you've gone back to St.
0: Thomas's dissertation on, on Peter Lombard sentences. you got all the sources. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Cavazos. We're all out of time, so we can't get into more stuff, but I just wanted to, I, 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 should have promoted this in the beginning, but somebody was mentioning in the chat, uh, just appeal for the Grant family. Uh, If you know Ryan Grant, he's the president of Mediatrix Press, which actually publishes The Moral Theology of St. Alphonsus that uh, Cavazos just mentioned. Uh, But Mrs. Ryan Grant, his wife, uh, is facing a very serious medical condition, uh, just had a baby, and they need funds to cover all their medical bills. So please donate. Uh, I'll put the link below, and please donate for the Ryan Grant family. Uh, we all love Ryan Grant. We want to help his family. Um, and you could buy his books at Mediatric Press for, uh, I think he still has a book club too. Uh, you can join the book club. I think it's like $50 a month. That'll also help the, the, Grant family, obviously, but give to this, give, send, go, um, to help the Grant family who are facing serious, uh, financial difficulties due to this medical issue. So, so take a look at that. I'll link that below. Let's offer up a hail Mary for all the dead and also in honor of all the saints. It's a wonderful feast day. Uh, have a great time with your children. And uh, let's pray. In nomine Patris, Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tuum liaribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria,
1: Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen.
0: Our Lady of Victory. Pray for us. Mary, Queen of the Home
1: pray for us.
0: St. Joseph, terror of demons. Pray for us. St. Anthony of the Desert, pray for all clergy and seminarians. In nomine patris, et Filii et sancti. Amen. Jesus is king. Amen. Oh.